Welcome to Light Plus Podcast from Lighthouse. In this series, we'll be talking to the artists and creators behind the work selected for the alternate reality tool coming from this year's Sheffield Dogfest. The exhibition will open to the public from the 12th to the 20th of October and is presented as part of the Brighton Digital Festival 2019. I'm Elia Habib and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we're going to connect with T. Yuko. T is the co-creator of My Mother's Kitchen, an intimate, interactive documentary centering on the childhood of eight writers, performers, poets and scholars from the LGBTQI community, all reminiscing stories from the kitchen of their upbringing. Each kitchen is the home of eight mini-audio stories, some that provoke laughter and fondness, and some that may be more difficult to listen to. The player can switch story at any point, You can experience the piece at mymotherskitchen.com.au on your mobile phone or tablet device. T is the creative director of Google Creative Lab Sydney, Australia, where she will be joining us from today. Can you introduce yourself a little bit and kind of talk about your practice and journey to this point? Sure. Um, so my name is T. Uglow. I run a very small part of Google's Creative Lab that's based in Sydney, Australia. And we work at the intersection between technology and contemporary Western culture. So arts and film and theatre and literature and how modern tools like machine learning or AR or the video tools that we have can become part of an artistic practice rather than feeling like they're always challenging and, and threatening. And my background is, well, I did an arts degree and then I bounced around charities for a few years and then I ended up at Google about 10 or 12 years ago doing design management in the UK and have slowly built a team that does these kind of experiments. We have, it's a lab, it's a creative lab, so we do experiments. Um, which explore whatever technology Google is sort of exploring at the time. So we worked on Chrome a lot. We worked with Maps. We've had periods where YouTube was the most interesting thing that we were working with. We've had periods where Google Plus was the most interesting thing we were working with. Um, and obviously at the moment we're very focused on AR Core, which is a, a key technology for us, and machine learning, which is going to be a transformative tool for everyone. So I always feel it's good to get those kind of things from an artistic perspective to sit alongside all of our engineers and, and technical people. I looked up something that was called Edition at Play that you were doing with Google, which is like really exciting. And I wanted to say about how like this piece is like really difficult to describe because it's not anything that I've like seen before. So that's really exciting. And I was wondering, where did you start to create this piece? Like, did you start it because you wanted to do more of that interactive storytelling? Or did you want uh, particularly to touch on the topic of uh, LGBT? QI plus stories. Um, the it's it's always a um. I don't think our projects start from anywhere. Like it's much like a jam session. You know, lots of people come from different places with different ideas and different things. And it's the same with these ideas. So, um, yeah, editions of plays uh, and actually all of our projects are really hard to describe because normally we're looking at. And it's great that you say it like that because that's exactly 
It's ideal. It's like really we're looking at things that when we look to describe things, we look to say it is like this or it is like that or when so-and-so did this, it's like that but with this added in. And ideally, our projects don't have those precedents. They don't have things that have been done before. And quite often we find ourselves saying, well, when we've built it, you'll understand what we're talking about. <laughs> and sometimes it's even with us. We're like, when we have worked out what it is that we want to do, then we'll be able to talk about what it is that we've made. Um, and we, we work, when I talk about we, I mean the artists and or the organizations or institutions and the developers and the designers and the, all of the creatives that come into this project. It's very much a collaborative process. So Editions at Play is actually a series of books that are designed for mobile phones we've been making over the last five years. I think this is the ninth or tenth book in that project, and it's the first time we've done a project which sits outside of our of one of the, the kind of primary things that we used to do, which was that all of those had to be paginal, like they had to have pages. You had to turn a page. Because apart from that, there's nothing about a book that can't be changed with a phone. You can go up and down and left and right. You can have words that appear or disappear. You can have multi-linear, multi-threaded stories. You can have stories that work in, in the real world, so you have to move around. We have ghost stories that know where you are and what you're doing, which is kind of creepy and also creepy. Um, and that works very well. There are all of these sorts of things we have. We have lots and lots of different kinds of explorations. So My Mother's Kitchen is, is the latest in that edition. And it is a collection of stories from or interviews with queer people about their childhood, about their kitchen, about growing up. And what we wanted to do was rather than have like a podcast, because that could easily be a podcast um, and a series of interviews, and, and it would be f fabulous and interesting in its own right. But we were really interested in what happens when you deconstruct. With all of these things, we're interested in what happens when you allow person, the user, the reader, the viewer to, to take some to have some autonomy some ownership over the content or the structure so we wanted people to be able to move around the kitchen and find the little bits of the story rather than just being told the story um so we made, made everyone draw a map and then we as we did these interviews we would mark where on their map the interview related to and the, the wonderful thing about the kitchen is that nearly everyone grew up with a kitchen and very often it leads into that kind of gendered space and you end up talking about your parents, maybe. But it's still this, this it's an intentionally gendered title. A lot of emotion is released in the kitchen. It's very core and central to our lives. So it felt like a, lots of these things kind of fell into place. And I was working with Maeve Marsden, who runs Queer Stories in Australia, which is a fantastic collective which comes together and, and has monthly performances actually more than that now all around Australia where they bring together speakers from the community to tell their stories to to not necessarily queer particularly LGBTQ related stories but they normally are because that's our community and because that's what we need to hear about and who we need to hear from so it's this wonderful eclectic queer community so that felt like those two things felt like a very natural combination and then the experience itself is, as you'll see if you go to My Mother's Kitchen on the internet, is that you, you basically roll, roll around these drawings of the kitchens, finding the different stories. And, and whether that works well or not, I don't know. Does that work well? Did you enjoy it? Yes. I think um, for me, it really depended on the state of mind that I was in because of the kind of like focus that it uh, asks of me. Like it's a little bit like a book, like as 
like also yeah when I read it sometimes I'm like really in the mood to like really immerse myself in a book and sometimes I am not so I found that like today I, I really really was and I felt like there was really like a connection between like me because I felt like all those recordings were like literally like belonged in that phone like it felt really nice that they had a place to live like all these stories um, and I could like access them like in a book really you just kind of like open it and it's like almost it's nice to know that they're there and it was like a really intimate kind of experience and it was like I was connected to like the stranger's memories uh, which was like comforting but I, I think the first time that I've experienced it I felt like it was quite a, like an enclosed space which was like kind of like restrictive because it was like really tiny and small and kind of like it had like borders to it kind of in the same way that like a room would have which is kind of like restrictive well i love this i, I mean i love the visceral response you have like that's a really interesting point it's like what you're trying to describe there are kind of physical limitations which we're not really used to in a digital format and we're also not used to in a kind of traditional linear press play and then it does its thing, right? Those are, so, but they are things that we're used to when we get into immersive reading. So one of the first things we ever wanted to do with this project was get people back to that sense of being immersed in a book. And one of the most interesting parts about this whole project, or a lot of my work over the last 10 years, I suppose, is trying to find ways of recapturing a lot of the qualities or, or information values that you have out of physical mediums. So what is it about a physical book that is different to reading on a, on a screen what is what is actually different like I mean we know what's different if we describe it but what information is different why is that information different why is it a different thing so a lot of the projects in theatre as well and dance is there a really good reason why we use the old model or why we use the new model um, of digital and what are we losing when we move between one and the other because we obviously, there are things you can do with digital that you can't do with physical, and there's things you can do with physical that you can't do with digital. We get to play in that space, and what comes out of that is the sort of things that you're describing, this idea that there's, that you feel they have a place, that there's a, there's a sense of a site specificity to them, which sounds terribly technical, but it's, it's sort of that sense that, that we don't have the language to describe what it is that we enjoy about it in a book, but we know that it's a physical language. You talked about being enclosed or there being walls or, or giving people direction. Just moving people through space and allowing information to exist in space is a really interesting part of human life, which we all take for granted as ourselves. But when you start to put digital information into that space, into space, not into screens, into space, then we get to all of these new new and challenging, um, challenging boundaries. So we get to play in that and we should explore. And I always feel the arts is the best place to do that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think I'm at the moment at Lighthouse, we're thinking about empathy quite a lot um, because of the whole like debate around virtual reality and how it kind of uh, gets people to connect with other experiences and all that. And I was reading uh, a an article the other day that was just saying about how like the best way to to get someone to feel empathy is to through reading or through listening so the way like words can really like activate your empathy because you have to fill the gaps in your imagination of the things that you can't see or hear in that 
it's hard work reading <laughs> reading is reading is hard like it, these things which are one of the reasons people don't want to read is just because it's like exercising it's also like thinking people don't really like thinking they don't like exercising and thinking uses up a lot of energy like just like exercising there's a reason why we tend to not want to think about stuff there's a reason why we tend not to want to run and there's a reason why we don't tend not to read which is that they are all um, energy consuming activities even though we don't think of them we don't end up breathless our muscles aren't sore but we have actually worked harder than we do when we're presented things in other forms so for me the challenge with vr is whether or not it's possible to I, I agree with that point of having a perspective, but then you get into a load of other in interesting issues about when the sound, so for me sound is very important, and location in space, it's like when the sound is not um, as realistic, whenever your brain is given a chance to know that it doesn't need to think, it won't think about it. That's why it's completely different to have someone in a room with you talking than it is to talk over a screen. There's a lot of things you don't need to worry about. Um, and there's a lot of cues and activity and mental processing that you don't need to do. I don't need to think about the space and, and our relationship in it. I don't need to be hearing all of the other sounds. I can just focus on your voice. So yeah, all of these, these ways are brilliant ways of learning different types of skills. And I think we're learning a lot more about how the brain processes information. But, but I don't think we're anywhere near understanding all of the types of information that we do process. These kind of projects are like little experimentations into that. But yeah, when, if you can ask about empathy is a really good point. It's like, where, where does empathy come from? What is empathy? How would we define it? And how would you measure it? Can you have a 10 in empathy and a 1 in empathy? I mean, we understand like that, that it's a spectrum and we understand how we would measure it in the clinical process. But how do you do interrelational or intersubjective um, empathy? How do we know how much someone feels? We don't <laughs> because we can't possibly. That's not something we can measure. We can simply measure them against a standardized scale. I suppose with this, with my mother's kitchen, it's kind of like an active listening as well. Like you're asking the the player to kind of engage with the game. Because when you put a podcast on, you kind of just like put it in the back and listen to it. But with this one, it's more like a relationship. Yeah, you have to wake your brain up every like, you know, 30 seconds or so and, and move on and, and, and continue to engage in the space. So yeah, there was a really, there was a really interesting point in putting it together where it's like, do we like, how much do we want to do that? Because if you do it too often, it becomes annoying. And if you do it too little, then you literally like zone out and you just don't realize that they've stopped talking or it times out or those sorts of things. So yeah, all of those kind of, I, I don't know if we've got it right. I'd be very surprised if it couldn't be done much better. But it's a really nice experiment into what happens when you start to deconstruct sort of ideas, like the idea that a book should be bound down one side or that a podcast should run for 25 minutes. Like when you start to break those things down then and engage the people that you're talking to in the process, even if it's not an, um, a synchronous exchange, it still changes how they relate to that information and those sorts of spaces are really interesting for me and my team and when doing like my mother's kitchen did you want to like create visibility for the lgbtqi community 
yeah, absolutely. It's their project. We wouldn't be able to do this without without queer stories and queer story. It's queer stories book. Like that's they're the, they've created this content, and that's why the content is also really compelling. We can talk about it being technically interesting, but it's beautiful content which is very strong, and I hope you found like interesting and and compelling, and you want to stay in that space. And I come from that community as well, so obviously I'm always interested in supporting it and making people aware of the fact that life is funny and sad and difficult and wonderful and some people have amazing childhoods and some people have difficult childhoods and we're all basically just normal like that but I do think that it doesn't like the 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 format itself is not LGBT specific it's just that that's that's a group that I whose work I admire so much and um, it felt like a really fantastic partner to collaborate with. And I think the content they created is just amazing. So that, that couldn't have worked out better for us. Yeah, I think it's also like really refreshing to have voices from like the queer community that don't necessarily talk about the more like fetishized things. Yeah, they're not coming out stories. They're not about sex. There's no parties. It's about like what it was like growing up at home and what <laughs> like everyone's got that story. Like everyone can tell that story. And actually that's the other thing about it. It's like you can ask anyone, like, tell me about your kitchen. What was your kitchen like? Describe it to me. Draw a map. And they will start to tell you stories. I think the huge next step for the LGBT community, which is to to kind of allow them our uh, culture to move past a place where we need to speak to stereotypes or address um, kind of common biases and instead just, you know, take our place in society like regular folk um, and just be accepted and tell stories and entertain exactly, you know, that that representation, that, that representation of, yeah, we have our culture and we're not giving up our culture, but we don't need to kind of put it in we don't need to be that culture whenever we represent ourselves um, is a really interesting, nuanced kind of space to get into. That's what I mean about quiz stories. It's like it's a lot of it's just kind of about life. Um, but it normally kind of falls back on. <laughs> there's some, a lot of good in-jokes from our, in our world. And there's a few in the book as well. Yeah, for sure. You don't want to like cancel the identity either. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely really good to have this kind of little database of experience. The other thing is they're all like poets and performers and writers. So these are all like people that usually are good with words. So I suppose they were also like really good people to bring in to, to tell the stories. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's the other thing. They're all, they're all natural storytellers. So they, they can all tell their stories. So there's eight kitchens and eight, each kitchen has eight stories within it. Is there a significance behind this number? Yeah, I have a thing about but sort of base two numbers. So uh, yeah, well, like there's lots of the books have little patterns in which will be on a two four eight sixteen thirty two sixty four one two eight two five six kind of. So some of the books have like exactly two hundred fifty six words on every page. Some of the books have like one hundred twenty. You know those that that sequence that because it's a digital sequence, it's just a it's just a kind of easy gag in a way. I like base two stuff. It's just geeky. <laughs> I'm sure your listeners don't care, but yeah, there is a. It is it is eight for a reason, and and it's a geeky reason. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I guess I wanted also to ask you, like for the for kind of closing, 
what's your next step for for this practice of merging like novels and technology and where where are you taking it next so the next steps are we're doing sort of we've been doing some quite interesting workshops with writers and um, machine learning like looking at that idea that if you think about it really I've always talked about the bio as being technology that helps writers and so was the dictionary and the printing press obviously and the, the typewriter was a big tool that helped and then the word processor and spell check and word count and all of these things are tools that we use on a regular basis and so we've been doing a really interesting workshop recently about what happens when you use machine learning or artificial intelligence and you try and position it much more as a tool rather than a generator. So everything we ever hear about is like how it it will write stories for us. It, the robots will come and replace us. And it's really not like that. That's not how it works in any of the tools. You use it every day in your maps or your photos, but like it, it doesn't feel like a robot's replacing you. It feels like you should be being helped and assisted. So we've been looking at a lot of ways in which working with writers from um, the Emerging Writers Festival about how that interplay works. We've got some really interesting stuff that's coming up in that space. I have a book, actually it's another queer book. I have, I have a book coming out in May which is about queer speeches. But that's like a more traditional, it's called Loud and Proud. It's a, that'll be, that's a more traditional book of like the history of queer speeches over the last 150 years, which has been, been kind of wonderful. And um, the narrative will, is always involved in all of our projects. So that idea of changing how we look at narrative from a linear narrative, which I think is bound by the technology of film or tape or time, however you want to look at it, and understanding that digital allows us to shift dimensions slightly so we can have narrative that isn't time-related, that isn't linear. You can have non-contiguous, sort of multilinear narratives which in a weird way are more like real life. So those are all the, always the stories that we're doing, whether it's in theatre, whatever, or opera, or finding local cultures, or um, it doesn't matter. Like for me, that's really where digital allows us to enhance and augment our, our culture, our cultural tools, our storytelling ability. Mm, yeah, it's much more like the mind. Yeah, okay, that's really exciting. Thank you so much. All the best of luck. That's all right. It's been total pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the alternate realities, visit lighthouse.org.uk or chefdocfest.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It helps other people find us. The Chef Doc Fest Alternate Reality Tour is funded by the Arts Council England. Thank you from the Lighthouse team.